Okay, please turn to the book of First Peter. I'll be reading First Peter chapter five, verses one through four. First Peter five, verses one through four. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Father, help me feed the flock this morning eagerly, willingly, with the unfading crown of glory laid out before me. And thus help us all as sheep eat of your eternal food. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, uh, I'm preaching expositorily through First Peter, and so this is where we come next. And so this is a sermon that is mainly directed at elders. Uh, in this church right now, there are two of us. I, by definition of being a lead, preaching, teaching pastor, and the other elder in this church is Marcelo. And so, you know, we don't have a closed door on that. We're always looking for elder material to join the board. That's what we would love. The way to hear this sermon, then, is I think is this. Listen for how you should pray for your elders. So, what I'm going to do in the first half, he says, I exhort the elders. There's a lot of assumptions that could be there. I mean, what in the world is that? Is that this 18-year-old kid that knocks on my door and says his name is Elder Jim? You know, so, and church history has done numbers of things with terms or not, and it can create confusion if you're reading the first century Bible. So, that's the question I want to answer first, and we'll go to the text. Okay, he just assumes this, that there are elders. This is not one church he's writing to. Probably over a hundred differing churches in differing cities over the five provinces. And there's this assumption that there are elders. So what in the world is going on there? Now, here's what I want to say. When you look in the New Testament, the terms elders, overseers, Shepherds are not three differing offices. It's just there's one office, and it's called these different things at different times. But first, I just want to just, just take a quick glance and a taste that in the New Testament, not only here with Peter, but throughout it, 
It is just assumed that when Christ comes with the Gospel through missionaries to places and believers happen, that within some period of time, there are elders there leading. For instance, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we read, And when they had appointed, this is Paul, on his missionary journey, and Barnabas, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In Acts 15, 2, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he, that is Paul, sent to the city of Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. Titus 1.5 Paul writes, This, Titus, is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In James 5.14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay. So we have this first term, elders. It's just assumed in the New Testament that by definition, where there's the gathering of God's people because of the gospel, there is leadership and they're called elders. The Greek word for that is presbyteros. You hear something in English? Presbyterian? Yeah. And that has to do with the church polity and how they do it. We're not going to get into that. But it has to do with elder kind of rule, etc. So a second term is the term overseer. Or translated in the King James, bishop. Which we know, play chess, you got bishops. You understand church history? you got bishops. You know? Okay. So, but we want to know, what was the Bible talking about? Not in that way church history necessarily unfolded that a bishop is different than a local pastor, etc. But in the Bible, this word, overseer, the word is episkopos. You hear a word? Episcopalian, another form of church government. Okay, epi means over, scope, pos. Scope them out. See, look. Oversee, Episcopos. So, what I want to sh- just, I'm going to read a couple of texts and just notice how, for the New Testament writers, the term elder, the term overseer, or if translated in the old King James Bishop, they're interchangeable. Paul writes in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Again, this is why I left you in Crete, Titus so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and has children who are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, why? For un... Now you would think he'd use the word elder. Because he's saying an elder must be this. How come? Because un... Elder, but he doesn't do that. An elder must be this. Why? Because an now use the other term, an overseer. 
an episcopal, an overseer as God's steward, etc., must be. So there, elder, overseer, they are interchangeable. Now, in Acts chapter 20, we see the same thing. When, when Paul, remember, he's going to leave and he doesn't think he's ever going to see these people's face again before he dies. So he says, go to Ephesus, get all the elders. I don't know, a few thousand people are in this church, so you're going to have a lot of elders and you're meeting at homes all over. Get the elders, have them meet me over here in Miletus. And he does. And Paul speaks to them. So he's talking to elders. And if you pick up in chapter 20, verse 28, he says to these elders, pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And there's the other word again. Elders, He's made you elders. Oh, well, He's made you overseers. Or overseers, He's made you elders. To care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-6, to Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of, now he says, overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Because if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So here, again, Timothy, there's an office of overseer. Okay, we see something again in chapter 5. There's two things here and in chapter 5 about an elder. And we see here about an overseer that distinguishes it from the other and the only other office we see in the New Testament, deacon. They have all these same qualifications, except elders and overseers have some type of gifting to, you're able to teach and to govern. And then all the other stuff is the same. We're, we're, to be a deacon, you don't have to have that, 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 that ability, that theological acumen and to, to, to deal with issues. You've got to, but your character in your life is very Christian for, for both. And in chapter 5, he just calls them elders. In chapter 3, he calls them overseers. They're just interchangeable. Now, the third term, we translate pastor, the word poimen, a noun in the New Testament. It's used one time in the whole New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, Jesus... He appointed first apostles, secondarily prophets, then evangelists, then pastors slash teachers. I think he's putting those together. The only time that poimen is used is right there. But the verb form of called 
poimainein, meaning to shepherd, the verb of shepherding, feeding. And I think what Paul means by feeding is teaching, because the way he puts it, pastor slash teacher, that verb form is seen in a number of places. Now, you come to our text. All three of these terms referring to one office are all right there in Peter's couple sentences. Chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, etc., etc., to what? Verse 2. To, now here's the verb form of it, to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Third term. Exercising, verb form of overseer, oversight. Okay, so what we see in the New Testament and church leadership is that the office of elder, overseer, slash pastor, or shepherding role, there are two main functions, and that is teaching and governing, ruling. Oversee, even that word's got the idea, you've got to oversee this, you've got to oversee the flock, you've got to oversee the people. That's governance. You've got to deal with stuff. You've got to help people. There's decisions to be to be made. And the Hebrew writer actually uses the word lead. So lead, to shepherd. A shepherd is sheep this way. Let's govern you. And this is just assumed in the New Testament, this idea of teaching leadership. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule there's the, or govern well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So, he, he, what we think here is that to be an elder does not mean that person has to be a person who thinks they're gifted or wants to preach from a pulpit. They must be able to teach. In other words, there's some, there's this ability to understand biblical doctrine and text. They may be just really good one-on-one, and they're really good in a council of elders in rebuking elders. What are you talking about? Because they have a, 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 a good understanding and a way to explain that to fellow elders or to the flock and to sheep. Okay. So there is this ability to have to be able to teach and to govern well. Now, what he says here, especially those who labor at preaching and teaching, is that there are going to be some who, because of their, the time of preparing and preaching and feeding and decision-making and administration and in governing, they're going to be doing that, and that's how they make their living, because there's only 24 hours in a, in a day. So, let me just summarize 
what we see so far. In the New Testament, there are leaders who are called elders or overseers who have the responsibility to govern and to feed the flock as shepherds. Now, here's, here's the big picture of that. Of, of this, this is how I go on. Okay, what, what is all that? How does that work together with my relationship with Christ and all and the church that He sets up? It is that the church of Jesus Christ has only one head. And that is Christ. Jesus is the head of the church universal. That means church in one sense. That there's not many churches in one sense. There's one church. There's one body. That includes all these people that have already died and some haven't been born yet. Jesus has one body, one church. He is its head. But also, biblically, there are, in a different sense, many churches, many locations, at many differing times. In other words, local assemblies expressing in local expression what it is to be the church. Jesus is the head of all these churches. There's numbers of churches right up and down Narbonne. Jesus is the head of each of those churches. Okay? Secondly, He rules. Ultimately, He is the one who rules over His church, over His body. Some of us come from a background like this. It's really important to say. And the way He does it is not by speaking, is, is Marcelo right now and I, or if we had ten elders, get together and... Jesus comes and appears, or just we hear these words in our mind, and He's giving us the direction and the word of the Lord for you, and now we're going to relate it to you, because He's the head, and Jesus somehow uses us that way. I don't think that's what the Bible is talking about, about leadership and guidance. He rules, how? Through His apostles. Now, since, you better believe it, through Isaiah and Moses, the Scripture that came before Christ is the Word of God. And then the culmination of the times have come with Jesus' coming, which is the fulfillment of all that was written in the Hebrew Scriptures. And He has entrusted that to a few. The Apostles. I don't mean Apostles in the way people mean it today. I mean what the New Testament means about it. Where Jesus trained, and here's the key, these people whom Jesus interacted with post-death, post-resurrection, and commissioned them personally as an apostle. That's the reason if you read the New Testament well, and especially the book of Galatians, I mean, Paul, what are you talking Paul was not there. I mean, even at least probably for a couple years after the resurrection, Paul was against Christ. And Paul had to argue, I am an apostle. I am on a level with James, Peter, and John because I was encountered by the resurrected Jesus bodily, and He commissioned me personally. 
That is how Christ, who has delivered His teaching in word to, once and for all, as Jude says. And so, <laughs> problem, they're all dead. Except, in a sense, they're not. Because He has made sure we have what we need from them in the New Testament. Their writings and their teachings. The New Testament is the written expression of Jesus' headship and rule over the church. And therefore, let me just say, and that written expression is the one that says you've got to have elders. And therefore, elders are to be those who adhere to, who know the Word, Christ's Word, through the apostles, through the prophets, and are able to teach it, say it, re-say it, correct with it, defend against false doctrine with it. And so Christ mediates His authority. He mediates His teaching. He mediates His love through the Apostles' Word, the text of Scripture. And then, therefore, ultimately, through the preaching, through the teaching, through the defending of that Word, through the elders in the church, which means thus, ultimately, their understanding of it, which, therefore, all believers, all members of the church are to hold elders accountable. Does the text say it? So again, remember I started off. Pray for your elders. Here's one way to pray. Sneak up behind a bush over by... I always got this image for some reason he's preaching on the beach because he's ready to get on a ship in Miletus. And see all the elders there and see your elders there being lectured to by Paul and pray for your elders in light of the following. Acts chapter 20. Elders, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Elders, pay careful attention to yourselves, your own life, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Because I, Paul, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things 
to draw away the disciples after them. And therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you. So, leadership, I think biblically, it's primarily not manipulation, but influence. Influence through teaching and influence through example. It's influence through the example because every elder Every under-shepherd is no less also a sheep. A sinner being saved by grace. And the example is the fight against sin. The fight to trust in the promises of God. It's the life of repentance and faith. That they are giving. Remember as we went through Hebrews. How the Hebrew writer said it in chapter 13 verse 7. Church remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. There's the influence for the word. Consider the outcome of their way of living. And imitate their faith. And it's because of that. It's because example of life is so crucial also to eldership that the qualifications of an elder, when you read them in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, are just centered directly at character issues. In other words, they're centered as, is Christ at work in your life, you professing Christian? Who? Is acting as an elder now. Is that, is that it? Is a repentance and faith and development and battle and fight and you see fruit in that and he lays it out. That's why Paul says to young pastor Timothy, keep a close watch, Timothy, on yourself and on the teaching. Both are crucial. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So, elders, let me just the the plurality in the New Testament. Just you just you never hear this. It's not assumed. The elder in the city of. You hear plural. You hear elders. One thing that is, is accountability for anybody who is in shepherding, pastoral, eldership type office. Now let me just mention one other. I forget which act is just coming to my mind. Paul writes to the members of the church. There is a place when elders are out of line, you have a say. But he says, but if you're the only one, Paul says, don't, don't pay attention to it. But they're going to need at least two, three witnesses here. Okay. So, but there's accountability that way. But I'm going to go now deeper. 
the ultimate accountability, because boy, can we human beings, can we pastors, can we elders fool the people? There's accountability because there is a great shepherd of the sheep. And the Hebrew writer did say it this way also in verse 17 of chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So no man nor any group of men have final authority over the church. They are all under shepherds who are accountable. They will give an account. And this means that Jesus will say to elders, how did you shepherd my people? What did you feed them? How did you govern? What kind of an example did you lay? Okay. That's the big overview of biblical theology. Okay, on elder. What's he talking about? Now, for the rest of the time, let's go back to the text in 1 Peter 5 and see, particularly in this context now, the exhortation Peter gives to elders. Notice the first word there, so, or, therefore. means the same thing. That big number five there says chapter five. Remember, Peter didn't write that. He didn't write the verses. We add that for reference. Okay, that might kind of cause one to say, oh, okay, new chapter. Don't miss the connection between what came before. Peter's been saying to all the church, all Christians includes elders and includes the deacons and includes the members of the church. All of them, they're going through fiery trials which are there to test you. He says in verse, I think, 17 there, it's because judgment begins with the house of God. In verse 19, he says, those of you who are suffering according to God's will, entrust your souls to a faithful Creator. So they're going through it. And so, he says to you elders, in this context, and if they're going through it and persecution's rising, elders are most likely more visible and thus more vulnerable. And he's got a few things to say to them. I exhort the elders among you. Here's his first one. Don't go on being an elder under compulsion. Feeling compelled from the outside, I guess i got to do it. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. He's saying, Peter's saying, like me, see the carrot. Don't lose sight of the carrot. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Don't be pressured externally. I, I think this teaches us that being an elder at its core, it means pursuing this as joy, not drudgery. 
compulsion. The time, the work, the problems, the heartache. Just, just, just pause. It, it, it's <laughs> just go on the internet and look at the statistics of how many people quit the ministry in the last year. And we we all have reasons, and there's a lot of pain. And Peter's giving good advice. At the core, there's got to be a place, and he just laid it out. We, also with you, are partakers. Nothing down here of the glory that is to be revealed. How are you going to make it, elders? He's saying, don't go on existing. Oh, you fall into it. But don't go on just existing. Oh, no. Really wish I could get out, but you know, commitment's a commitment. You know, I gave my three years, I'm gonna be an elder, so I gotta do it or something. He says, either, you know, don't do that. Just ask for God, can you change something in me? I mean, that's what he said a few verses earlier. It's the context in verse thirteen. Look at it. But when things get hard, when you're suffering, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So he's saying, don't do this at a compulsion. Do it at a joy. Press in. Keep the fight. Find that grace that says, yes, I have strength again today to do it willingly. Secondly now, Peter says to the elders, shepherd and do this oversight not for shameful gain, but eagerly. He says to many where it's their living, don't do your pastoring as a job. In the sense that a job's a job. You know? And I was job searching, you know, and there was the real estate market and it's crashing. There was an opportunity to pastor. I go work at this restaurant and the pastor paid more. This is what he's getting at. It's not a job in the sense that jobs are jobs for many people. He's saying, if the reason you, who might be a staff pastor, slash elder, the reason you're in it is for money, change or get out. See, he doesn't say that there are no elders or shepherds who are paid. That is, who spend the bulk of their time and their energy and their skill and the stuff they've learned and they're thus making a living at it. It just... Let me, let me give you, look, here's the reality. I mean, I can, look, re, the reality. In, hi, in human history and today, the majority of people go to work, do a job as a means to an end. The end being, I need the paycheck. 
Because I need to feed myself and my family. I've got to put a roof over the head. Got to buy medical insurance or get it from the job that I have. Dental insurance. How in the world am I supposed to pay for the sports teams my kids are on? Put clothes on their back, etc. So what do we do? Most people go do a job that they would not do otherwise unless they were paid to do it. He says, if that's what pastoring is to you, get out. That's what I think he means. We work. Because you don't work, you don't get money, you're on the street. <laughs> you can't get braces on your kids' teeth, you can't feed your babies. So you do like my dad did, you wake up five days a week and you go to work. And you do the responsible, biblical thing. As Paul says, if you're not going to work, then don't let them eat. If they're just pure lazy. Or you go to the office and you type. But many of the jobs that many people, not all people, but that they do, you say, hey, you want to do that for free for the next ten years? You're out of your mind. I'd rather be with my family. Okay. So, that's the way life, for the most part, for many people, most people, has always worked and still works. You trade your time, and it's finite, and your skill for the necessities of life. To live, to have insurance, to have a retirement, etc. I think what Peter's saying here is that vocational, full-time eldership, pastoral, staff kind of work, don't treat it that way. It's not that. It's not a means to an end. Now, the assumption biblical we'll see in a moment. Money, paying them, is biblical and really smart because it frees them up to do their jobs better, to shepherd the people better. But the point is, pastoring, and let me say it this way, here's, here's some more work people make money at. It's like a musician. It's like an actor. Let me use those two. There are lots of musicians. There are ten thousands upon ten thousands of good musicians and even write some good songs. And they only work in the restaurant. They would love to not have to. They will do their music while they're going to the job. But once in a while, these guys get a break. And someone sees them and someone signs them. And somehow they were promoted well and they don't have to go to that job. They get to now get freed up and write their music. We have, we have a, for, for actors, we have a saying in this town, right? Where would you come from, Indiana? What restaurant do you work at? Because you know they're an actor. Some of them make it. They want to act. But most actors will never make a living at it. But they won't stop acting. They will act in the playhouse. They love it. It's their life. He's saying, elders, and if you're a full-time paid pastor kind of elder, this is to be your life. That's how it's supposed to be. Okay? I mean, just take a few moments and just say, show because how clear the Bible is that some elders 
will be paid because of their time and their skill and the demand that that is upon their life. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Because the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Picking up with verse 6, Paul writes, Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Paul's just picture the Roman army. See these guys working eight hours a day? This guy's got to be guard over here. He's got to do over there. Oh, bring your, you don't get fed. Bring your own lunch. Oh, when you're done, well, then you're going to have to go work for so-and-so for the next eight hours after your eight-hour shift so that you could actually, you know, feed your family and put a roof. He says, no one does that. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I, Paul, say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does He not speak entirely for our sake? It is written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, Barnabas and I have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service, they get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, Peter, he's all in on that. He knows that. He says, elders, do not do this for shameful gain. He just means again, it's not just a job. If that is, get out. That's what he's saying. He recognizes that churches are better off if they can hire one or two. Or churches, depending on their size, have 23 staff elders. Because there's a lot of work to be done. And it functions better for the people. But he says not for shameful gain. In other words, don't be, as Jesus says, a hireling. No, true shepherds aren't hirelings. They care 
for the flock. They don't flee when wolves come. They call them out. They shoo them away. The motivation of shepherds is faithfulness to the great shepherd. Faithfulness. Help me be faithful to Your Word once for all delivered. It is because that is the good food for the sheep. It is faithfulness to the Word. It's the love of truth. It's caring for real human beings who are the flock. He says, not for shameful gain, but notice, eagerly. See, that's, the, that's what he's getting at. Eagerly. Do your music writing and playing. Oh, they're paying you? Great. Do it eagerly. Don't lose the passion. That's what he's saying. You love to act and you actually got parts and you have to make real money at that now? Good. Don't lose the passion. Love the art. Eagerly from joy. Remember again what the Hebrew writer said in chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And then watch. Let them do this with joy. Let, let them do the eldering happily. Try not to be such, you know, make your life so miserable. That's what he, he says, because if they didn't do this with joy, but they did it with groaning, it would not be of any advantage to you, the flock. He says, so do it eagerly. Do it from passion. Do it from joy. Do it from your vertical relationship with God overflowing. And then he says, exercising this oversight, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I think he's saying here, another danger of being an elder, being pastors in churches, is the temptation for some to have power. The temptation for within some to enjoy Controlling other people. Technically, I mean, the word, if you, it is woodenly domineering, is lording it over. And that, that word existed before Peter used it here. And it was a term to be used where you would subjugate another physically, whether militarily, uh, with a sword, politically. You would just control. What he's saying here, don't, don't stay in it or get in it for the motivation of, you're just a controlling type of freak. His point is govern, not by threats and intimidation, using people as a means to your end, but how? His examples to the flock. I think, to say it in short, one of the main tests of an, of an elder is, is this your life? 
It's not, see, when, when Paul gives Timothy and Titus instruction to appoint elders, he doesn't say, have a conference and say, everyone gather here and then say, these are the qualifications to be an elder. Now, those of you who think you might want to do that, go ahead and change your life and become that. It's not what he says. It's really not his view. His view is, look around and you'll see elder material. That's who they are. Christ has changed their life. You're starting to see fruit after two, four, eight years. Look at them. Look how they're already shepherding. Look how they do actually seem to reach out to other members of the church and believers as a Christian. They're overflowing. They're passionate to learn and, and, and they're getting better at explaining stuff. Look how they treat their wife, the kids, their money. So he says, just notice and look. These are the qualifications. Look for that kind of a person. In other words, it's who they are. And he says, grab them. So he's just, not for dishonest gain, eagerly, not domineering, not from these motivations. It's not a job. It's not a union job. Just put your time in. You're a sheep. Are you repentant? Is there fruit in these areas of your life? Are you growing that way? Be that. Continue to be that. Be an example. Be open with people. And preach the Word. Teach the Word. Not as superior to others. Not as lording it over others. Preach it and teach it as a sheep who with them is also under the Word. That you're preaching and that you're teaching. And so as I close here, here's the question, here's how you, big question again, how you pray for your elders here. And the admonition to us elders here, how do we guard our hearts from the sins he's talking about? How do we guard our hearts from not shepherding out of joy how do you guard your heart in the midst of suffering and pain and want to give up and discouragement? How do we guard? And say, I got to get, a, I got to get a better want to. I got to be more eager. The answer is in verse four. He says, elders, the refreshing, drinking water of true shepherding that protects from the love of money, the love of control, the love of power, the, 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 the moving away from discouragement and pain that makes you a mopey, droopy, unjoyful, elder type. It is this. When the chief shepherd returns... He'll call you to account. And you will receive the crown of glory. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It is knowing His glorious gospel for you that He purchased every crown you'll get. It's knowing that you will stand before Him and He'll ask you, how did you feed my sheep? 
Did you keep watch for their souls? Did you protect them against wolves? False teaching. Did you preach my whole counsel of God? Or were you so afraid of a lot of it that you thought it would be better that you didn't say those things so clearly? He says, no, work for the unfading crown of glory. Let me just close again with Paul's speech, a little portion of it. Listen in. And as you hear that, and you hear that in your life as you pray for your elders here, just hear that. Yes, God, help them. As Paul speaks to the elders, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. So here's a danger. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Pray, keep our elders pure. Keep our elders repentant. Keep our elders from ever becoming a wolf. Keep our elders' doctrine clear. Help them be clear. Teach well. Help them in their character, their life. Verse 30, And from among your own selves will rise men speaking perverse things to draw away. Keep, Lord Jesus, the carrot of your great unfading crown before them. Grab hold of them when they don't feel like grabbing hold of you and change their heart daily, drawing them up. Make them repentant in their marriages, in their fathering, in their relationships with members in the church. God, keep them. Pray that way. Father, my prayer is that The miracle of all miracles is happening here this morning. It happened last week or happened the week that follows that we your sheep will hear the words of your Son, our great shepherd, in the context of the local church. To the changing, encouraging, correcting, sanctifying work of your Spirit to the glory of His holy name.